My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 30, and we're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 4 and 5, Leviticus 4, and Psalms 46. Exodus 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground." Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were your mouth as and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. 
Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. This is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and paying no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today, as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Leviticus 4 The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, brings guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering. For the sin he has committed, he is the present He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of the meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it to the tent of meetings. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. 
The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offerings at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, all the fat that is connected to the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which he will remove with the kidney, just as the fat is removed from the ox, sacrificed as a fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offerings. But the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the internal organs and the intestines, that is, all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean, where the ashes are thrown and burn it there in a wood fire on the ash heap. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a, son, as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent. He shall dip his fingers into the blood and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horn of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meetings. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offerings at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. He shall remove all the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. When a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord, his God, when he realizes his guilt and the sin he has committed becomes known, he must bring as his offering a male goat without defect. He is to lay his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour it out, the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn all the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring it as their offering, the sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hands on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his fingers and put on the horns of the altar a burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priests will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. They are to lay their hands on its head and slaughter it for sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his fingers and put it on the horn of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat just as the fat was removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought to the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, so I feel like the title of this story is that God equips the called. Moses is asking God, what if they don't believe me? That's how this story starts. Notice how God points to what Moses already has. There is nothing he has to go to buy or to make. The staff in his hand is a tool of his existing trade as a shepherd. And God will use it repeatedly in this story to help on in God's rescue mission. Then Moses tells God he isn't good at public speaking, so he can't do it in chapters 4 verse 10. And God even responds to that. I will be with your mouth. God had already told Moses he would be with him. But God is showing his gentleness, even though he's getting frustrated and clarifying that he will be with every part of Moses in every way. Then Moses is more straightforward. Send someone else, he tells God. I still find that amazing to just say to God, burning bush, listen, can't do it. Oh, but, you know, I don't know what I do in the same situation. Notice God doesn't get mad. God says he will send Aaron, his older brother, which I'm not even sure Moses knew about or had met, maybe. And God says he will be with Aaron too. It's interesting to note how God was communicating that he already knew Aaron's gift for speaking and already had commissioned him into the rescue mission. He already knew the worries of Moses. Our resources and abilities do not matter to to God, for in our weakness, his goodness, his greatness is made known. God equips the called. Yet we see Moses continue to struggle with his identity. Remember, it's a process for all of us, a process of navigating from being to the transformational act of becoming. Like William Pollard wrote, a Christian businessman in his book, The Soul of the Firm. It's this process of being and becoming. Then we read this enigmatic story in Exodus 4 about a bridegroom of blood as Moses is taking his family to meet Aaron. Wow. So Dr. Carmen Imes describes the mini stories as episodes that echo the larger Exodus story pointing back to the Moses saga and forward to the Hebrew saga. She explains that Hebrew literary function is happening here and how it connects to the larger story. She believes the conversation um, Moses has with Jethro is the beginning of the series in chapter 4, verse 16, and ends as like a bookend with Jethro, the father-in-law, in chapter 18, verse 7. And also notice how when he talked to Jethro, he didn't really tell him that God commissioned him. He was just like, I'm going to go see if my people are still alive. I mean, I don't know why, if he was afraid to say it, if he still hadn't believed it himself. I don't know, but that's interesting. And then the first scene is the woman, um, the first scene is the woman delivering Moses from Exodus and 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 chapters one and two, if you remember, the mom, the sister, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And again, here we see in chapter four, verse 26 through 24 through 26, when Moses does nothing, nothing. And God is either trying to kill him or one of his sons. And Zipporah, his wife, performs an emergency circumcision on one of her sons and touches Moses's feet uh, with the foreskin. 
Wow. Okay. So Dr. Iams sees this as an echoing the midwives' intervention and also anticipating the Passover. In both cases, it is about the firstborn and blood that needs to to touch to protect. It's Okay, so I feel like the title of this story is that God equips the cult. Moses is asking God, what if they don't believe me? That's how this story starts. Notice how God points to what Moses already has. There is nothing he has to go to buy or to make. The staff in his hand is a tool of his existing trade as a shepherd. And God will use it repeatedly in this story to help on in God's rescue mission. Then Moses tells God he isn't good at public speaking, so he can't do it in chapters 4 verse 10. And God even responds to that. I will be with your mouth. God had already told Moses he would be with him, but God is showing his gentleness, even though he's getting frustrated and clarifying that he will be with every part of Moses in every way. Then Moses is more straightforward. Send someone else, he tells God. I still find that amazing to just say to God, burning bush, listen, can't do it. Oh, but you know, I don't know what I do in the same situation. Notice God doesn't get mad. God says he will send Aaron, his older brother, which I'm not even sure Moses knew about or had met, maybe. And God says he will be with Aaron too. It's interesting to note how God was communicating that he already knew Aaron's gift for speaking and already had commissioned him into the rescue mission. He already knew the worries of Moses. Our resources and abilities do not matter to to God, for in our weakness, his goodness, his greatness is made known. God equips the called. Yet we see Moses continue to struggle with his identity. Remember, it's a process for all of us, a process of navigating from being to the transformational act of becoming. Like William Pollard wrote, a Christian businessman in his book, The Soul of the Firm. It's this process of being and becoming. Then we read this enigmatic story in Exodus 4 about a bridegroom of blood as Moses is taking his family to meet Aaron. Wow. So Dr. Carmen Imes describes the mini stories as episodes that echo the larger Exodus story pointing back to the Moses saga and forward to the Hebrew saga. She explains that Hebrew literary function is happening here and how it connects to the larger story. She believes the conversation um, Moses has with Jethro is the beginning of the series in uh, chapter 4, verse 16, and ends as like a bookend with Jethro, the father-in-law, in chapter 18, verse 7. And also notice how when he talked to Jethro, he didn't really tell him that God commissioned him. He was just like, I'm going to go see if my people are still alive. I mean, I don't know why, if he was afraid to say it, if he still hadn't believed it himself. I don't know, but that's interesting. And then the the first scene is the woman delivering Moses from Exodus and chapters one and two, if you remember the mom, the sister, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And again, here we see in chapter four, verse 24 through 26, when Moses does nothing, nothing. And God is either trying to kill him or one of his sons and Zipporah, his wife, performs an emergency circumcision on one of her sons and touches Moses's feet uh, with the foreskin. Wow. Okay. So Dr. Imes sees this as an echoing the midwife's intervention and also anticipating the Passover. In both cases, it is about the firstborn and blood that needs to, to touch to protect. It's pointing to atonement. She reminds us and how atonement is, is first and required before we're 
put into purpose and mission, right? So she reminds us that this literary structure is a tool used to emphasize and reiterate the mirrored connection between the saga of Moses, the individual, and the saga of the Hebrew people, more collective, the individual and collective and their need for atonement, an innocent and perfect blood sacrifice to cover the sins, which we know now ultimately points to the New Testament and Jesus. And then we have in Leviticus, we continue to discuss what is this atonement. It's this willingness to give God what's most important to us, to give him our first fruits, to have this vision, this seeing and sensitivity to our wrongdoing, and this willingness to reconcile and ask forgiveness. And while it's okay to want things, we need to want him more and be willing to give God our best and first, making him not just something we believe in, but something we hold as sovereign over us. It's approaching God and allowing him to make our relationship right through one sacrifice on behalf of everyone. In this, in the morning and the evening, we're seeing how the community is being represented in one sacrifice for everyone. Keep in mind, the sacrifice of an animal is, is in part to God alone, in part for or with our neighbor and with the priest who is helping us navigate these, these things to be done in the right ways. The first step towards being a priest is atonement. It is the first and foundational step in God's purpose of reminding us where we came from and preparing us for our purpose, becoming a kingdom of priests. For we are called in Exodus, well, Genesis 2, Exodus 19, verse 6, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and Revelations 1, verse 6, throughout the entire Bible to become a kingdom of priests. And it starts with us as an individual and then uses our position as priests to help others navigate, to intercede on their behalf, and to give resources to those in need. Atonement here is pointing to the atonement that Jesus offers us through his life, death, and resurrection. All stories, as um, many scholars will say, in the Old Testament continue to point to Jesus. It's so cool. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.